Hey all, it's Beth here. I just wanted to let you guys know that we did have a little bit of some audio difficulties during our recording for about the first eight minutes, but afterwards we do get that resolved. Thanks so much for listening and, and on to the episode. where three pseudo-professional D&D players take questions from game masters to help them plot out their stories and to plot against their parties. The doctors are in. Hello! 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 How are you guys? I'm doing okay. As okay as I can after minor wisdom tooth surgery. So That's good. I think pretty pretty good considering it's Mother's Day. Yeah, yeah. Happy of, Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers who listen to our podcast. Um, uh, Don't even know how though many you, of you there are, but cheers to you. I can think of at least two off the top of my head. So to those two that Yay. I can think of, um, uh, Happy Mother's Day. Although this won't come out on Mother's Day, know that that on Mother's Day we're thinking of you. All right. What? Um. Well, let's just get right into it this week. Okay. Our Monster Weekly this week, uh, so we're still going through the original 5th edition Monster Manual, and this week we are on Bugbears. Bugbears! I like goblins, or goblinoids in this case. Yeah, my only knowledge of Bugbears comes from the McElroy Adventure Zone. <laughs> <laughs> so I once again, once again, I'm very little help in the Monster Weekly I, department. Yeah. You know, if you were from Eberron, that would actually make sense. Hug bears, hug bears, hug bears, hug bears. It was the best name <gasps> ever. Bear. But yeah, hug bears were great. Yeah, so that's that's if you're in Eberron, the way that uh, Griffin portrayed bugbears isn't actually too far off. Um, because in Eberron, everything's a little more like yeah, they just like goblinoids have their own kingdom, mm-hmm. and everyone just. They're, they're, they have their own kingdom. It's kind of um, interesting the fact that they are just respected as like other citizens of a different country. Like that's that's the best way to to like everyone's gonna still have you know prejudices, but it's based off more like their country than them just being bugbears. That makes sense. I mean that factors into it because they're you know their countries ran by hobgoblins, but. Yeah, well, I mean, Eberron... It's a merger. Eberron typically is a lot more inclusive when it comes to, to variant races. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I mean, part of the 90s, it was kind of trying to strike back against some of the traditional D&D stuff. Um, and so bugbears have kind of evolved into this weird in-between, where they're, they're not these elite, like, martial badasses that hobgoblins are, so if you're trying to be like that super badass goblinoid where you would pick the hobgoblin um but if you just want to be the goofy goblin like from pathfinder and just pick a normal goblin um bugbears are just kind of in between because they're supposed they're characterized as these like more brutish war hungry um goblinoids that are like just just there for fighting but they're not as clever um so 
I know they're not cobalts. So what's like a more functional version of three cobalts in a in a trench coat? Goblins in a trench coat? I, I mean, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Where... But but I'm just saying, playing a bugbear as an intelligent race is more functional than trying to bring three cobalts in a trench coat to your GM. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred. But you still get to have that yeah. like goofy aspect to your character a little bit more. Without, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, go ahead. Yeah, it, I was gonna say something along the lines of, "Hey, if you want to play Goliath, you might also like a bugbear." That's fair. Kind of, it's kind of the same vein. Um, they have, um, they have a fairly decent strength. Um, I know that we're just going from a straight player standpoint of not even getting into the DM stuff. Um, bugbears are like mid-level. If you're using them as monsters, they're a nice ending boss for, like, a first-level adventure. Yeah, they're kind um, of like, uh, what's a magicker? They're like orc lights. They're like, you know, they're like kind of yeah. like orcs, but not as bad. It's a good way because well, I mean, they have... not as bad, not as... I, I mean, yeah. not bad in the negative sense. I mean bad in the challenging sense. Ah. Um, they're they're a, a less challenging villain than orcs but they can have the same functionality that you would use orcs as so a tribal yeah. people um with the well, same tribal is not even well, they have they have clans I mean, yeah yeah i mean that's like technically but i don't know if i would it's it, we're getting into the weird splitting hairs fantasy versus okay. realistic it says in here Yet goblins and hobgoblins understand that no matter how much bugbears might drain a tribe of resources, these creatures are a, a potent force. So, yeah, tribe. But okay, and and this is just me trying to use the the terminology that is provided for us in the monster manual. But um, they are they have the same monster stats that are similar to that of orcs. So they have the, the brutish ability, which means that, that when they hit with a melee weapon, they are actually doing double dice, double weapon damage. That is, that is typically an, an orc monster ability. I mean, just their <laughs> stats are similar in that sense. Yeah. They um, Also, if you go to the Bugbear Chieftain, they have the, the heart of her... her... I'm pronouncing this god's name wrong. But what it does, it gives the bugbear has advantage on saving throws against being charmed, frightened, paralyzed, poisoned, stunned, or put to sleep. Which is really great just because I think... I don't know. I forget if D&D orcs have that, but I know Pathfinder orcs can do that too. Uh So Um, it's definitely on that same level. The other fun thing is that since it very specifically indicates that they're ambush predators... Um, mm-hmm. It means that a bugbear encounter can literally be a random encounter. Um, mm-hmm. Like you're just your party is traveling on the road, and some bugbears are hanging out in the bushes waiting for the next group of people to walk by to steal stuff from them. Is like it's a mm-hmm. legit random encounter, and so sometimes it can be difficult to think of like what's a good like random encounter. And I don't just want to do bandits because they're not like challenging enough. Bugbears fill that role for a slightly higher tier random encounter during travel if that's something you need um and well the odd thing about bugbears is as much as they have a a section it's like oh if they're just by themselves it's really rare to see bugbears outside of other goblinoids 
Yeah, I like. I mean, I, I would not think this would be an individual bugbear. I think there would be several bugbears or something, mm-hmm. or several bugbears and a and a couple goblins or whatever that are like hanging out on mm-hmm. the side of the road waiting to steal from whoever rides by next. No, it's just something very interesting I, I notice about like modules and things like that where bugbears usually are with other goblinoids. It's it's very rare for just a group of bugbears. Um, which is something nice if you wanted to give this tiered level of uh of a of a of a group. For instance, let's say you have a bandit group that's made of a bunch of goblinoids. So you can have like a few hobgoblins and then a few bugbears and then a few goblins and they all have different specialties. Um, that's a little not necessary, but if you wanted to do something that was like plug and play, that gives you a variety without having to, you know, then tweak all the different bugbears and tweak all the different goblins and everything like that. Okay. So, uh, sorry guys for the the brief technical difficulties, um, but back to bugbears. Yep, bugbears. Um, I think we cut off somewhere where I was trying to describe how, um, plug and play wise bugbears add a different puzzle like aspect to DMing, uh, where you can have different kinds of monsters essentially, uh, in an encounter without having to literally remake a bunch of goblins or remake a bunch of hobgoblins or make a bunch of bugbears. So you can just have all three and they give you a variety in your monsters without having to manipulate everything which is probably why they've stayed like this so much and why there isn't like a huge like uh, curve of different bugbear stats yeah Uh, which is something i feel like is is a complete oversight by the people who can and do have money to make more stats um which i know a bunch of people do online so yeah i mean bugbears the the goblin goblinoid set of monsters in the player's handbook or in the monster manual when used together really can elevate the complexity of a, an encounter because you've got several different monster types suddenly all involved that you can do the same thing with the yanti um mm-hmm. because there's different kinds of yanti some of which exceptionally done dumb man with snake arms real stupid <laughs> i'm just yeah it, it doesn't it doesn't make it's a lot of sense it's only cool in a fight it's only cool in a fight like no. day-to-day stuff that no makes it's no not sense. even cool in a fight it's a man with two snakes for arms it's dumb i keep thinking they shapeshift like that's the only way i can justify it like they turn into snakes no no and then he can like Fight no. you with the snake arms? No, snake arms. It's real stupid. But bugbears. Um, having the complexity in a combat with multiple different kinds of monsters adds a different element to the combat. It can help keep it from feeling as stale. It does, however, make the combat more complicated from a GM perspective because you need to know the stats of several different kinds of monsters all at once. So it is something <laughs> to keep in mind. It works better for creatures like bugbears and goblins and hobgoblins because for the most part they don't have a lot of extra stuff that they do having like multiple different kinds of spellcasters for example is much harder <laughs> yeah that's true uh this well, same principle though works for demons and devils too mm-hmm. 
Well, that's the funny thing. So, if you go to the, the monster manual, dragons and demons and devils all have their own, like, section. Mm-hmm. Goblinoids don't, and it always bugs me that they, they're the one that doesn't. They're the only, like, orcs have their own section and, and everything else, but... They didn't stick kobolds in with dragons and half-dragons in with dragons, so I mean... I guess that's fair. I would have put those together, too, if I was reorganizing the, the monster manual, but that's... That's for another thing. Yeah, because it, it, they also, for example, don't stick all fey creatures together. And I think that's why you get these variabilities. Mm-hmm. Because, like, they have a demon section and they have a devil section. And they split those two up because they're different kinds of fiends. But I think they're clustered together so they could do the info dump about their, like, culture. Mm-hmm. Blood Wars thing? Yeah, all at once. So there's just, like, one section about their culture instead of having... Because, like, each, you know, the monster manual, it's got those little blurps about that monster because there's such large chunks of information that's needed about dragons and demons and devils they kind of, and celestials. They kind of clustered them all together. So that way mm-hmm. uh, they could do the info dump once. And I genuinely think that's why. Hobgoblins get like a page worth of info, but they're not like four or five pages worth of info dumping. And I think that's mm. part of what the mentality behind the, the separation is. Do I think Hobgoblins, Goblins, and um, Bugbears all deserve their own section? Yes. There's a lot more lore that can be added to them that could make them just as interesting of characters as, you know, the, the, the other, uh, as, you know, Celestials or Demons. I mean, the same can be done for Orcs as well. They just, mm-hmm. this is a and d problem that's common. Um, they are considered evil aligned creatures. And because of that, uh, they don't add any of the like societal flavor text to them. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. There's yes, no, no like, that's... and this is how their, their women and children do things. And this is how they're, you know, they, they, they settle arguments amongst their clans or anything, because then that, that would make them too approachable and human. And I think that would bother people who just want to murder things. Uh, for me, I'm like, you know, give me the, the ten pages about their kingdom and how that works. And that's you're, why I have Eberron. You're also an anthropologist. <laughs> yeah. And I still want to know about mind flares. And, and that's a lot harder to, to try convincing that they're not, like, out to get everyone. I feel like, though, part of the problem... Maybe not part of the problem, but because we don't get as much anthropological information about these creatures, when you come to, like, a battle in the middle of a tribe's lair or something like that, you only have one course of action, which is goblins bad, because we have done nothing to establish any sort of social norms or for lack of a better term, humanizing of these creatures. I know they're not human, but... Yeah, I know what you mean, though. It... Mm. All too often, the way that other races that are coded as evil in D&D, they align a little too much with my readings of old anthropology texts of different cultures. Like... 
It's very othering. It's very minimalistic. And I know this is a game, and I know that it it's not meant to make goblins equal to humans in any way. But when we spend X amount of time describing these old, ancient, you know, wonderful societies that were built from the elves and then we go but hoblins are goblins are gross and dirty and bad it just sounds a lot like look at this empire from europe but everybody else is gross and dirty and bad yeah i I don't know it just the lack of information that we receive from the people who created these books and who made the decisions not to give us this information or didn't take the time to do the world building necessary to give us this information what isn't included says a lot about what is included and it bothers me but that's where storytelling comes in and that's where you're <laughs> like well there there have been updated books and stuff oh, yeah. too and there's a bunch of unearthed arcana and fan content that you can find like somebody loves goblins just as much as Tasha does and has spent a long time writing about goblin culture just go find them on Tumblr and take take their content in to your game for yourself I was I was even gonna say you don't even have to like go much outside of Wizard of the Coast like I say if you just turn to like Eberron it'll like they have like I said a whole kingdom that's that's dedicated to it but if you want something a little more fresh like a fresh take instead of back from the 90s yeah there's there's plenty of like tumblers and um heck youtube videos and uh, other third-party content on like the dms guild but yeah so for the most part bugbears are, are relatively straightforward of a monster um they have some disadvantages because calling them a monster can be kind of problematic because there's other issues like we were talking about inherent with that mm-hmm. kind of classification. They're not considered humanoids. They're considered monsters. Uh, they are considered humanoid. Are they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're considered they're humanoid, but they're in the monster manual. This can be something that can absolutely be brought up at, at the table if that's something your players are like down for. Sometimes, though, your players are just going to be like, ooh, monster bad, smash Hulk. <laughs> Hulk smash. I Which mean... is a completely fine yeah. way to play the game mm-hmm. because, once again, this is a game. Yeah. You're meant to have fun. But if your version of fun includes really heavy world building and exploring different cultures in an open world, then that's how you play your game. And if your play style is monster bad, Hulk smash, then, you know smash with smash away yeah and just smash to your heart's content you're a dm who feels uncomfortable with it there's a plethora of other things that are not humanoids in here that you can willingly throw at your players that are just hungry animals that would like to kill your players just to eat them so or or yeah. hear me out undead they're always a good option yeah um. always undead. <laughs> yeah you can throw an undead anything and there's no doubt that thing is bad it mm-hmm. will hurt yeah, I mean, hell, if you're just like, I really want bugbears, but I really am dealing with the complexity of bugbears as a society. Undead bugbears! It's not your problem there anymore. You go. <laughs> yep. Or go the route of the adventure zone and spend a very long time humanizing them within the context of your game. Hug bears. Mm-hmm. Hug bears. Um, uh, there was also some deep problematic stuff with the hug bears. Don't get me wrong. There was some like other seriously traumatic things that happened. 
All right, disclaimer, nobody's perfect and never will be. No, I mean, no, but that was, like, handled in-universe. It was so great. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There was some prob- problematic I mean, shit in, in balance. Um. <laughs> of course there was. Yeah. And, uh, okay, we're not going to, this is not an Adventure Zone fan cast. I'm not going to get into <laughs> Speaking the of ethics of the map. Speaking of new arc, woo! Um. <laughs> yes, okay, I need we're to moving on. <laughs> okay. All right. First appointment. How do you prepare for the first session of a new campaign, either with new players or old friends? Session zero. Yeah, that would be my answer to this question as well. I have, I have not done very many new. I, I've not started very many new games, which seems odd. That's typically what most GMs have done: is started a lot of games and never finished them, because of one thing or another. I have not started very many games. Uh, typically, Session Zero, yeah, I, I would agree. And that can mean different things for different people. But for the most part, it means character building and or lore discussion. Like, well, you know, tell me a little bit about your character. Session Zeros, though, can be done one-on-one. That was something I did do, where I just met with my players individually to help them build their characters because we were all real new at the time. Yeah. Well, yeah, um... It's also helpful if you're playing with people you don't know very well. It's a moment for icebreakers and to get to know each other as well as the characters that you're building. I used it for my last game that I DM'd because I was playing with a bunch of coworkers who had never played before at all. Um, so we all took a moment to go, hey, this is weird. We're coworkers, but now we're meeting outside of the workspace and also nobody knows what we're doing. Let's just go through everything together. And Mm. as the GM, I made them packets. Since they were brand new players, I made them packets of blank character sheets in two styles. So an independent one and the official one from the books. A rules sheet, a second rules sheet with different information. Um, I gave... Uh, everybody got a small set of index cards in case they wanted to be a spellcaster because I know that can be super confusing when you first start out. Um, and just it was basically like a starter kit for new players so that we could go through it all piece by piece and explain it to them. Like, how are we actually going to play this game? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I have done the packet things a couple of times. Um, I also love table tents, um, and a crowd, like, I, I would take them to Adventurers League and then, like, hand them out every time anyone had a new character, uh, because that gives you, um, a good way for everyone at the table to have access to each other's character names, even if they don't have their real name. And then I got the AC and passive perception without having to, like, write it down and have, like, that took a lot of time, so just having this, like, continuous thing that they can update on their own time, like a secondary character sheet, was when you really say, handy. When you say a table tent, do you mean, like, that little tri-folded piece of paper that you used to put on the front of your desk as a kid? Okay, yeah. Cool, okay, yeah, neat. Sorry, I never knew what their words... Oh, that's another option. Yeah. Huh? No, table tent is a good... I was picturing you bringing, like... A collapsible tent to put around an entire table inside of a 
convention uh, hall full of tables. That does sound uh, no, really no. nice, but no. It um, does sound nice. Um, no, no, but actually that works pretty well. Another option if you want to do the same thing but make it easy to change is you go to the Dollar Tree and you buy everybody a, um, a really cheap whiteboard <laughs> that they can change and then put up in front of them. It's harder. I've had people who bring in their own whiteboards. It's just always harder to balance. Yeah. Especially in like a tight the ones space. that the the ones at the um Dollar Tree are pretty light though, and they're easy to squish between different things. But yes, it it would be. It just depends on what your rig looks like. Yeah, it's really it's really the table space. Now, don't get me wrong. If you had like table tent things that are like those triangles, but they had like a dry erase on the front, that'd be the best. But oh 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 oh, TM. TM 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 <laughs> TM TM TM. Let's uh, let's get on that, shall we? Oh, yes. oh, I'm pretty sure it exists somewhere. Well, then let's find it so I can buy one or five. <laughs> now, my question is, how do you start a game post session zero? What does session one look like mm. typically for you and your party? Um, Module. Well, the standard layout is everybody's in a tavern. Mm-hmm. Which, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, that if, if you want to do the classic tavern start, you can... Wait, hold on. Let me back up. So the for folks who aren't familiar with the Adventure Zone, the last few arcs of it have included Session Zeros or First episodes which is basically like a lay of the land it gives you a layout of the plot of the location of blah 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 so that you know what they're going to do and how they're getting into it i think this would be a good way to do the start of a game so everybody knows you know you get your first your, your classic everybody's in the t- tavern we're all meeting here for the first time. We are all here for the same reason, but what are what are our personal reasons? Who are we? Blah blah blah. There is a game. It's a board game, card game, called the Red Dragon Inn, and ah. it's technically a drinking game, but you don't have to drink to play it. The game is based on everybody having a character and a set of cards. And your goal is to buy each other drinks, and every round you get to do certain actions, and every round you have to take a drink. And if at any point your drink count goes over your constitution count, you're done. You're blacked out, and you are passed out on the floor of the tavern. Introducing other games like this into the start of your D&D game, while not technically D&D, could be a fun way to just break the ice it it isn't bad i think i i have not yet played red dragon and i have heard the glories of red dragon and don't get me wrong it's so fun i've it's it's on my to playlist i just keep meaning to do it i actually add a party um but uh Sometimes for new players, I think it would be like too much rules at once. There are people who are just be like, oh, yeah, what, and now I we're think... switching. So I would, 10 out of 10 though, would recommend this for any experience party or like even loosely experienced. Like I have played D&D a couple of times or I've played a couple modules or I've been to Adventure League for at least a handful of times. Hundred, And this is my now, and now I'm doing my first home game. 100% would do this. Yeah, 
using other games as props for inside your actual game, your broader game, is a good way to increase the dynamic feeling of the game while keeping things in your canon. Very Side true. note, if if you've ever heard of Cursed, uh, Cursed Court and you need a good, easy version of a poker game without having to teach everyone poker, I'd look into it. It's a gambling game that uh, is only pictures. Uh, so you can very much play in character. It's It would be, I think, even easier than um, Through Dragon Ante, which has its own rule set to how to play in character in D&D um, and how you can use your skills and stuff. But another good option is Cursed Court. Cool. Okay. No, very cool. That can be very important for uh, uh, anyone who wants to do a gambling adventure or wants people to be able to gamble in their taverns or whatever. Well, I mean, if you want to do, like, a casino. Yeah. Uh, that's, I think, what I meant when I said gambling adventure. I think the word casino fell out of my brain. Um, but yes. <laughs> Fantasy Las Vegas, where all your dreams come true. Because casino heist, Ocean Elevens. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that can be interesting was I think one of the ways I have started a game is everyone met in a tavern, but instead of having an adventure in the tavern, I went around the table and had people introduce themselves like Ocean's Eleven ba flashback <laughs> style. Where like <laughs> we jump back in time to explain why you are here at the tavern right now. So like yeah, instead of having them just like suggestion. yeah instead of just having them just say like okay well this is what happened and this is why I'm in the tavern no no we flash back you have to make roles and we kind of it, it introduces your character introduces the kind of person your character is and yeah. allows you to get familiar with your character sheet then we jump forward we do a couple things in the tavern then we pick a new character and now we do a cutscene to their backstory and yeah yeah that sounds fun. It, I really like that, yeah. It works really well if your your party is down to roleplay. It's not as effective if you know your party isn't going to want to, like, roleplay with each other. But if they are out the gate, like, improv people, it is a great way to start the game. Especially if they have a I mean, firm, like, understanding of who their characters are. Because that can make it easier on them. If they don't know who their characters are, then it gives you a lot of breath to explore who their character is in those first couple of sessions. Yeah, that was going to be my point. Like, even if they're not super into roleplay or don't know who their character is, if you lay out their options, it, you make them think about, okay, well, they're not going to... Maybe they're not comfortable with a sandbox, right? They're not comfortable with a lot of open space to play in. But you can give them options, and then they have to roll for them. So, but yeah, it's a good way to, to map a character a little bit if you're not familiar with it or don't feel super yeah. comfortable yet. Yeah. That's a super cool... I I like that. I like that a lot. A, a lot mm -hmm. of times the way I've got that set up is, is that they are all responding to the same job advertisement. Nice. And this is why they are all responding to the same job advertisement. So without a doubt, no matter what their backstory is, they are all here for the same job. Typically, it's a module based. Could I get a... Like, set up. It's just a module. It's not something that I have... I have it's all pre-prepared for me. I just kind of like set up a, a, a wanted poster for it. And they've all responded to the wanted poster. For completely different reasons. One of them, it could be a hero quest. One of them could have misread it and misunderstood what the poster was about. But they're all here because of that poster. And so mm -hmm. it really adds to the found family, if this is what they end up doing, or the, the 
accidental party aspect of it. These people don't typically know each other unless in their backstory they would. But a lot of times it's just a, and then we all walked into a bar. It starts the exact same way every, you know, really dumb joke does. Um, a whole group of adventurers walk into a bar. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, out of out of curiosity, how what, what kind of skill roles would you be asking if someone was, like, looking at this poster? Because, because I, I understand it in, like, a narrative sense. I don't understand it from, like, how as a DM I would implement it. So. For example, if they are telling me they are a rogue and they have just they're they're they just got off a bad job and they're trying to find you know new work, I'm like, okay, cool. So you were responding to this poster because of new work. Well, how do you come across this poster? And then I'm like, okay, well, why don't you make you know they're like, well, I I would look at you know the usual places or I have a contact. I would make them roll a persuasion check or a investigation check or something like that. So that way I can add flavor to how that went for them. Was this a, wow, and, and you know, they, they did a really good job and they found this, like, really good advertisement? Or did they get the, the shit kicked out of them and then this, this advertisement happened to fall on their face while they're laying down in the mud? Just to add more flavor okay. to, like, how their world worked. Because they're still going to get the advertisement. It's just explaining the step-by-step the -step process that leads to it. So it's really just to give cool. me like a a scale on how successful or poorly they did in order to get here. Okay. Mm -hmm. It has no significant consequences other than it's fun way for the character to think about, you know, okay, so I guess my character feels pretty down on his luck because, you know, he, he was in a pig pen a minute ago kind of situation and he's kind of mucky and dirty. And that kind of gives them the flavor for where they're starting off and how their character would feel in this moment versus you know the paladin over there who was handed this on a silver platter by their church and told to go do this completely different outlook on life than the rogue who was in the pig pen a minute ago so it gives them a an emotional starting point basically for how to how to act in that moment okay yeah cool like that's that's i guess that was my thing was i i understand like, the point A to point B, I just didn't know how you got to the in-between. Yeah. The, the, the in-between is solely flavor text, and their roles are just to kind of give me an idea mm -hmm. on how I'm describing how they get from A to B. Okay. And it gives them a fun, yeah. yeah, it gives them a chance, to to think about it, too. Like, how would their character try to find a job? That's not something you, mm -hmm. you think about very often in the Middle Ages. How did somebody in the Middle Ages try to find a job? Um, and yeah. so it gives them a chance to really think about what their character would do if they were looking for a job. Um, another thing, mm -hmm. I, I was just totally thinking of this. Um, you can do either in media res, which is they've all kind of known each other, and you can describe a mission they've already gone on, or you can do the fate slash uh, powered by the apocalypse thing, which is you give connections to at least two other members of the party. That's true. That's a good way. Um, and that's a good icebreaker too, especially if you're all, mm -hmm. if none of you have ever actually met before, and this is all kind of your first time doing this together, that's a really good icebreaker because it helps you, it helps the it, people at the table communicate with at least two of the other people at the table to get to know each other. It, it's sort of like you mm -hmm. and your teacher makes you, you sit in groups to talk. <laughs> mm -hmm. You learn the other classmates' names, that kind of thing. And then having the table tense means you won't forget it. 
name tags are helpful. Uh, buying the hello, my name is name tags. I've done that for a couple of intro games before. It's funny as hell, and people really enjoy being able to write their character name and slap it on their chest. It amuses people to no end. So stickers are oh, always yeah. an, an advantageous way to start a game. <laughs> also great if you're playing a, a character whose um, gender does not match yours, and yeah. then everyone remember can remember it. Because that is something that you everyone has like a second to, to re-remember. Re because you can't slap your pronouns on there for your character, which does yeah. make it easier. Because that it, it, it's always difficult to, to remember mm -hmm. to go back and forth between the two. Um, even as a GM, sometimes that can be difficult to remember. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I still think everyone has called not him. Like, and, and they're at the end of their campaign, <laughs> so... <laughs> just because that's the the what they would call refer to Sam. Mm -hmm. So I know I play I play a male in one of my characters and I get referred to as a her a lot of the time just because I my I'm not I'm not as strong in character voices. Um so I have a higher pitch, more effeminate sounding voice. And so her and of course everyone I play with knows I am a her, uh just refers to my character as a she, um just out of habit. Mm -hmm. And it's and that's the funny thing is it's not usually when people are like th there's a blender between like the what is it the I'm forgetting the term of it um no I'm forgetting um like crossfade and I can't remember what the, the actual term is character bleed character bleed so um where you just people forget they're both referring to you as you you know Beth. And you as your character. And sometimes you just address them like the both are interchangeably. Mm -hmm. So that's where usually the, the, the situation comes in. Because a lot of the times um, people, when they usually go back and describe events uh, in D&D, will say I. Sometimes they'll say my character if they want to make a distinction. To be like, yeah, this is not something I normally do. But out of habit, they'll say I. So there is some heavy character bleed. Uh, there is always a little bit of character bleed. P.S. So, Two people listening yeah. at home. It's so much worse when you're the GM. Because yeah. you say I for both the NPCs and the bad guys and for the shit you yourself did. I mean, you're, you start to use the collective we. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and you can start and to... And mean it. And mean it, because you are a collective we. So... So yes, uh, uh, the character bleed concept, that actually would be something fun to talk about because character bleed is a real thing. And a lot of times when you are talking about your character, you do not notice you are doing this. Now that we have pointed this out to our audience, they will start to notice that they do this because you don't mm -hmm. think about it because it's something you did, even though you know damn well you were not the one swinging a sword, you just rolled a die, but you did it. So it's, uh, yeah, it's like improv. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting um, because you're, you are always, like in any good character has a portion of, you know, your actual self in it. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, you can't 100% separate. Um, you can get really close and get really good at it, and then there's certain aspects where I have played, you know, obviously villains and things that I, you know, 
put a little, like, you have to put a little bit of yourself in to just give them life, but, you know, 90% of it is just this character. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of, like, well, dissociate um, from that for, like, most of it, but then there's always going to be a little bit of, like, yeah, but this is how you relate to them, because you put this little aspect of your own personality in there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's that's just a thing to think about, like, that's why that comes up. A lot, and that's why name tags really, really help for beginning a campaign <laughs> so that you can establish, like, who this character is, how are they different from you, how are they same like you, how, you know, what are they going to go by, what are their... Um, a- another good thing to think about, too, um, is what what sort of overarching story your characters want to tell, like your players are going to tell with these characters. Um, and that's something that I think should be discussed as a group. Yeah. Uh, it, it should be... It's going to be kind of said during the premise when the DM is like, hey, I want to do this adventure, right? It's definitely um, something so that the brought up at, at Session Zero. Mm-hmm. So there's there's an understanding, but like in the same way they're like, I want to do an action adventure. Okay, what kind of flavor of action adventure, you know? And that's where the players come in. Yeah. You could also do um, something I've done for my players is give them homework. So instead of doing all of the um, rolling and the the plot maintenance before or during the first session, I have them do it in the time between session zero and session one. And a piece of homework you can give them are a couple of personality quizzes. And you can do this any way you want really there's a thousand million of them out there but you could do um like your standard mbti four type personality test you can do a hogwarts quiz uh or you could go on you quiz and get which 80s song do you most represent (laughs) based on these other dumb topics like just have them answer personality quizzes as their character. Within the context of their character. Yeah. And that'll yeah. change as they play and learn. Um, but it, it, it it's something fun. And then they get to bring their results to the table first day and compare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It definitely. I think. It's definitely a useful tool. Oh, and yeah. that, that whole name tag thing. Pro tip, super duper useful at conventions because you can get them to put their character name and their actual name onto the name tag because that way it's not just "Hey you," mm. um, <laughs> but yeah, that's just a con. You could color con pro them. tip. Blue for character name, red for person name. Exactly, but yeah, go ahead. As you were saying, Tasha. No, yeah, I was just gonna say uh, for me another thing is is like you were saying doing that um, pre-adventure thing. Uh, to help people establish characters, because as much as I can do a char- like personality quiz, it's really harder for, hard for me to figure out what my character is until I start playing the game. So, and then and then I can go back and do the personality quiz to kind of like cement what I've discovered already. But yeah, uh, thanks everybody for listening. If you'd like to hear more appointments from the doctors, be sure to submit your questions to our Twitter at dear underscore doctor underscore dm or to DearDoctorDM at gmail.com. All of those have doctor spelled out, so it's D-E-A-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-D-M at gmail.com. 
Also, if you can rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, it'll help our show grow. Uh, thanks, as always, to Chad Crouch for his song that we use on our intro and outro. Um, it's called uh, Adventure, ah. fittingly. And you can find more of his work at soundofpicture.com. So thanks, Chad Crouch. Thanks to all our listeners. And thanks to my fellow doctors. Well, you're very welcome, doctor. Doctor. Yes, doctor. <laughs> yes, doctor. <laughs> I hope you, doctor, have a doctor good day, doctor. Why, thank you, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, let's go ahead and say goodbye. Bye, Bye everyone. And the doctors are out. Bye, guys. Hey. <laughs>